Why is a Christian worldview important, especially for young adults beginning to engage the culture and become involved in politics? And what are the 12 stops to restoring America's greatness? Presidential candidate, former Arkansas Governor Mike Huckabee, talks about his new book, From Hope to Higher Ground. This is Jerry Johnson Live from Crystal College. Join us as we look at today's news from the Christian worldview for Christ and culture. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. December 7th, 1941, a date which will live in infamy. I have a dream. It depends upon what the meaning of the word is. Yes. And the people who knock these buildings down will hear all of us soon. We will not tire, we will not falter, and we will not fail. Welcome to Jerry Johnson Live. For the next hour, this is your place for relevant discussion of topics in the news and in our culture from a Christian perspective. Your host is Dr. Jerry Johnson, President of Criswell College and Criswell Communications. Later in the show, we'll open the toll-free lines for your questions and comments. You may also email us at talk at jerryjohnsonlive.com. Now here's today's host, Andrew Abair. Welcome to Jerry Johnson Live. This is Andrew Abair sitting in for Dr. Jerry Johnson, who will be back in this chair uh, starting next Monday. Uh, but I am here joined in the studio with Caroline Lewis. And uh, Caroline is a student at SMU, a good friend. Welcome to the show, Caroline. Well, thank you, Andrew. I'm so very excited to be here. Well, it's a good reason you're excited because we've got a great program uh, lined up. Today we're going to be discussing, uh, if you listen to Jerry Johnson Live on a regular basis, you hear the term Christian worldview uh, used on a daily basis. And some of you may not know what a worldview is, or you may not know what the Christian worldview is. And what we want to do for you today is discuss the need for, the components of, and the foundations for a Christian worldview. What is it that makes up a Christian worldview? And we're, in a moment, going to have a, an interview with a, a young man named Roger Custer from the Young America's Foundation, who's going to help us to understand the need for uh, the Christian worldview. But uh, first, Caroline, tell us what else we have in the program. Well, actually, Andrew, we're going to be discussing the components of a Christian worldview. And then we're going to have an interview with the presidential candidate, Mike Huckabee. It's going to be a fun program. It will be. And uh, Dr. Johnson uh, recently returned from a trip to Oxford University. And uh, while he was there, uh, he was taking our students on a distinguished scholars uh, term. And one of our students was able to uh, interview a few people about the new uh, movie, Harry Potter. What would your reaction be if Harry died in this last book? Um, not very surprised. <laughs> really? Yeah, ditto, although obviously it would be very sad. Okay. Same. I, I think he will die. So. Okay. If Dumbledore were to fight Darth Vader, what do you think would happen and why? Well, Dumbledore's already dead, so I think Darth Vader would win. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. I, think, I think Dumbledore would win because he's got magic on his side. Okay, okay. And he's a good guy, and they always win. But Darth Vader kind of like wears black the whole time, so maybe he would win. <laughs> That's a little fun from that interview, and we're going to have uh, just sound clips uh, from s some of those interviews that they did in Oxford that we'll be playing throughout the program. And, and the reason is, is because we want to uh, point you to Monday's program. Monday, Dr. Johnson will be back, and he'll discuss the new Harry Potter movie. But first, we have an interview with Roger Custer. Caroline. Is Roger on the line? He is. He's on the line. Hi, Roger. Welcome to the program. 
Well, thank you for having me. Well, thank you for being here. I was actually able to come to um, a young, the Young America's Foundation National Conservative Student Conference three years ago uh, with Texas Right to Life, and it was so much fun. Do you think you could explain for our audience what exactly Young America's Foundation does? Sure. Well, we are the nation's leading uh, young conservative activism organization, and our entire mission is to inform students of the conservative point of view because they are not receiving it on campus uh, currently, especially at uh, public universities. Our guest is Roger Custer. He's the conference director for the Young America's Foundation. And Roger, um, you said that your, your goal is to bring conservative viewpoints to the campus. Tell us, uh, why do we need that? I mean, what is the situation on American universities today? Well, unfortunately, uh, the campuses are dominated by the left, and they have been for many years. Uh, probably even since the 60s. And um, unfortunately, students are learning about Marxism, they're learning about humanism, they're learning about postmodernism, but the colleges are not presenting them with the conservative or Christian ideas, and uh, students don't even hear them, so how can they decide for themselves where they stand? It's really liberal indoctrination, liberal bias that we see in the media, but it's applied to education, isn't it? Yeah, it's even worse on the campuses. I mean, you have people like Christopher Hitchens, uh, on campus as guest speakers sponsored by the college uh, who are preaching kind of their atheist message. And you have a whole number of other leftists like Al Gore, Bill Clinton, Gloria Steinem, etc., um, who are paid for by the college, brought in on a regular basis, and they share their liberal views. And these, this is what students hear, but they're never going to hear from somebody like Clarence Thomas or Marvin Olasky or Dr. Dobson um, conservative ideas. So how can they decide for themselves? Sure, and uh, I think a lot of our listeners are hearing that you know these Marxist classes, these communistic classes, are being taught on the American university, and they see the product of the American university. And I think a lot of people wonder: Is there hope? And uh, Young America Foundation, I think, is really uh, holding uh, hope up for us, isn't it? Well, that's uh, exactly what we're doing. I mean, we're spreading conservative ideas to the nation's campuses. Uh, this week, we have more than 400 students who are going to come uh, to Washington D.C to learn about conservative ideas from speakers like Newt Gingrich and Robert Novak and wow. uh, Fred Barnes and many others. And um, we're really excited. I mean, it's sad that we even have to exist because we would hope that the colleges would just share all ideas with the students, but unfortunately uh, we're the ones who are uh, sharing these conservative ideas with them. You know, I remember from my experience at y- the YF conference is that you floated a really interesting concept called intellectual diversity, which is pretty much non-existent on our campuses, whereas we have diversity as far as, um, you know, ethnic diversity, and that's pushed very hard. But when you get into ideological diversity, the, you know, the, um, they cringe almost because they don't want to have to deal with all these competing ideas. They just want their side and not the other person's side. Yeah, it's really unfortunate that the left, uh, they're not, they talk about how they're for diversity, they're for tolerance, they're for all ideas, but then when a conservative speaks, like Ann Coulter, for example, they respond not by more ideas or more speakers, but by throwing a pie at her or calling her a racist, and that's unfortunately uh, what we deal with on the left today. Roger, uh, we're talking today on the show about uh, the Christian worldview, and I want to ask you, why do we need a conservative uh, worldview, first of all? And then secondly, why do young people in in particular uh, need to have a Christian worldview? Well, it's so important that students learn about conservative ideas, because the situation in our country today is that many students take their freedoms for granted, and they don't understand 
that our country has a long history of fighting for freedom and preserving freedom. And matter of fact, um, our men and women are over in Iraq today fighting to continue to preserve our freedoms, but many students just take that for granted. So it's important that uh, we teach them. Uh, like Ronald Reagan said, freedom is only one generation away from extinction, and that's why uh, we need to teach them to preserve their freedoms and not take them for granted. Right, and another point that you brought up was that our men and, I, men and women in Iraq are fighting for our freedom, and a lot of students and professors don't even seem to get the connection that the freedoms that they are experiencing today are there because of people that are fighting, and yet they're protesting that. And it's just so a, a great irony of our college campuses. Yeah, it's, it's political correctness gone wild on campus, and many people don't even remember uh, what happened on 9-11, maybe how they felt on that day, or um, how they felt in the, in the time after that, um, because the time has gone by, and now the, the politically correct uh, anti-war message is getting out on campus and not the um, pro-America and pro-freedom message. Roger Custer is our guest. He's from the Young America's Foundation. And, Roger, uh, we're here in Dallas, and uh, we have a lot of universities here. We've got uh, University of North Texas. We've got TWU. We've got SMU, UTA. And um, just right here in the downtown area, there are several universities around. And I, I know that we have young people who are listening to the show right now and young people who might be conservatives themselves, but they've not yet taken the step to get involved and to, to uh, do something about what they believe. And I just want you, uh, just before we let, uh, let you go, just to give a challenge and encouragement, if you would, to those young people out there listening, why do we need to get involved? Well, it's so important, especially for young people, because once you get into the work world and once you have a job and a family, uh, you're not going to have as much time uh, to promote conservative ideas to other, young, to other people, um, because you might get a job in a campaign or in a business or whatnot, but while you're in college, you have all this free time. So we encourage students to stand up for what they believe in, and students should visit our website at uh, yaf.org because we have a number of resources there they can use to share conservative ideas with their peers. Uh, for example, uh, after 9-11, uh, we started something called the 9-11 Never Forget Project, and a lot of campuses just weren't remembering the victims of 9-11. They weren't doing anything to properly remember those who were killed that day. And so we uh, provide resources for students to set up flags on their campuses, uh, 3,000 flags in their quad, uh, just to bring up uh, the ideas behind 9-11. Uh, right, behind right, it. a visual symbol of what's really going on. Exactly, and, and that's just one way students can get involved. We also have the nation's largest lecture program uh, where students can bring in conservatives to counter these leftists that, that come to campus, like some of our speakers are... Ann Coulter, um, John Ashcroft, sure. and uh, Fred Barnes, and, and uh, many others. YAF.org. I encourage our listeners to visit that site. Roger, thank you so much for being with us. Yeah, well, thanks for having me. Thanks, Roger. Freedom is one generation from extinction. That was what he said, and uh, that just goes to show that there's a great need uh, for uh, Christians and for young Christians, young people, to get involved and to put their ideas into practice and to, uh, to really get involved in our culture. And, and there's a need for Christians to have, uh, or for young people to have a Christian worldview. And uh, you heard that from Roger Custer, someone who's involved uh, with young people uh, all across the nation. But I want to do a, a, a service for you, our listener, because... You hear this term, Christian worldview, and uh, you might not know what that means. You might not know what a, what is a Christian worldview. You might not even know what a worldview is. And so 
over the next uh, segment and a half, uh, Caroline are, and I are going to start defining for you what are the absolutely essential elements and components of a Christian worldview. And let me just start by saying that a, a worldview is simply uh, the way in which you view the world uh, or the filter through which you an- an- analyze and understand the world. Um, if you have glasses uh, that you put on, that, that sharpens your vision and, and uh in a way, a worldview is, is the glasses through which you view the world. And uh, we want to look as Christians at the way God looks at the world. That's a biblical worldview. A Christian worldview is looking at the world the way God looks at it or the way God would have you look at it. And and we want to look in the next uh, few minutes over a couple of uh, uh, philosophers, a couple of, of men who have written books on Christian worldview one of them is is David Noble from Summit Ministries, and the other is Ronald Nash, who is a professor at Southern Seminary. And uh, Caroline, in a moment, is going to discuss uh, David Noble's uh, views, and and then in the next segment, I'll discuss uh, Ron Nash's views. But uh, Caroline, tell us about what you've been reading. Uh, tell us about this book. Tell us about what is a Christian worldview from uh, David Noble's perspective. Well, David Noble is a wonderful guy. He is the um, founder of Summit Ministries, which is a Christian leadership camp right outside of Colorado Springs in a little town called Manitou Springs. I actually spent two summers there, um, spending two weeks listening to his view on worldviews and also some other different um, speakers that he had there. Anyway, his book is called Understanding the Times, and basically the thesis of his book is that there are there are worldviews, and, and he outlines uh, three in this book, and I think that in his latest edition, he has he has added a fourth one. But basically, what he says, Andrew, is that there are ten different areas, ten different areas that that affect a worldview, and it's a lot of times people think that a worldview is merely uh, how you believe in God. Uh, do you believe that there is one God? Do you believe that there are multiple gods, or do you not believe in a God at all, or you're not sure about it, called agnostic? Um, and so. He outlines it in this book, and in the next segment, we're going to be going over it and talking about the different ways that you need to be looking at your worldview and how it affects not just your the- not just your theology, but your politics, the way you view law, the va- way you view entertainment, ethics, etc. Well, Caroline, we'll discuss that in the next segment. You hear the music, and that means it's time for a very informative break. Stay tuned. Uh, Join us after the break. We'll be back. I'm Andrew Aber with Caroline Lewis. In for Dr. Jerry Johnson on Jerry Johnson Live. We'll see you on the other side of the break. Generations of ministry leaders have one common point, a ministry education from the Criswell College in Dallas. To date, ministry leaders from the Criswell College are in service all over the world. With the fall term just around the corner, your education can follow this same distinguished path. An education from Criswell is grounded on the Christian worldview, witness, and God's Word, the Bible. The Word and Worldview focus of Chriswell gives you a more effective witness to a world that needs Jesus Christ and prepares you for kingdom service. The fall semester registration is August 15th, 16th, and 17th. Classes begin August 20th. See chriswell.edu for details on classes and the Master of Arts in Christian Leadership degree. Chriswell students are ready for the challenges of today's ministry environment. 
classes in evangelism, missions, preaching, communications, all are fully accredited and small class sizes point the focus to your success. Find out more at 800-899-0012 and on the web at chriswell.edu. Okay, Anna, what are you doing here? I'm waiting for the Harry Potter book. And what would your reaction be if Harry Potter died in this last novel? Um, I'd probably cry. <laughs> you would cry. What do you think would happen if Dumbledore were to have to get into a fight with Darth Vader? Dumbledore would say win. <laughs> Why? Um, because he can, like, do good over evil. Good yeah. always wins. <laughs> okay, because good always wins. What do you think will happen when you die? When I die, I think I'm going to go to heaven. To okay. And why? Because um, I've been really good. Because she's been really good. Those were questions asked by Criswell student Joel Patrick to some women who were in line to see the new Harry Potter movie over at Oxford. And uh, that was from an interview that they did while they were in Oxford. If you're interested in the new Harry Potter movie, Dr. Johnson will be doing a show uh, discussing the new movie. Some, you know, Should Christians watch it? Um, is it all right for Christians to, to read fantasy or to watch fantasy? That'll be on Monday. But uh, interesting comments from that woman. She thinks that when she'll... Uh, when she dies, she will be dead, and that will be it. And that's really a worldview idea, isn't it, Caroline? Absolutely, Andrew. When people say, when I die, I will just be dead, that's very much saying that that there is no afterlife. And that's a very convenient thing to believe if you're living a lifestyle that God does not honor. Sure. And we're talking about a Christian worldview today. This is Andrew Aber and Caroline Lewis and for Dr. Jerry Johnson. And before we went into the break, we said that we were going to give you the components of a Christian worldview, the essential uh, fundamental uh, ideas behind a Christian worldview, and uh, we're going to live on that promise. Caroline, tell us about what you've been reading. Okay. In Understanding the Times, like I said before, he outlines it saying that there are 10 major disciplines and that the Christian worldview must encompass all 10 of these and does encompass all 10 of these. And the 10 disciplines are theology, philosophy, ethics, biology, psychology, sociology, law, politics, economics, and history. Now, that's a pretty long laundry list, but let me explain it to you. Uh, The theology of biblical Christianity is theism, meaning that there is one true God. And the philosophy of biblical Christianity is supernaturalism, meaning that our philosophical basis comes from an outside source, that there is a God that moves and it is supernatural, whereas the whereas uh, secular humanism, which is found founded on atheism, says that there is no outside source. So just like the the woman was saying, uh, when I die, I will be dead. She doesn't believe that there is any supernatural force involved in her life. In ethics, the Bible says that there are ethical absolutes, that there is something that is right and there is something that is wrong. And a lot of times people don't want to believe in right and wrong because that means that they'll have to live by it and they'll have to admit that what they've been doing is wrong. And to go further, in biology, the biblical Christian worldview is that there's creationism and that we believe in a creator that intentionally made the universe and that it wasn't some accident or even like the deists believed in during the enlightenment period that that God was just this clockmaker that in that made the world and then left but he's actually a sustainer. He didn't just create, he sustains. He holds everything exactly. t- together, and he, he's an intrinsic part of the fact that we can move and breathe and, and uh, exist. Absolutely. And 
And even um, the Bible says that he who created a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. And so we see that not only physically is God sustaining us by helping us to move our hands and all that kind of stuff, but he spiritually sustains us and that he promises if you accept him as as your Lord and Savior in your life, that he has begun a good work in you and he will be faithful to complete complete it. it. And thirdly, in psychology, uh, the biblical Christian worldview uh, speaks of dualism, meaning that there is a body and and a spirit, and that there are two components. And um, in history, in the in the first and second centuries after Christ's death, there was a movement that said that the body is bad and the soul is good, and it was. It was claimed as a heresy uh, because because the biblical Christian worldview says that there is the body and there's the spirit and God created both and both of them are good. And um, the next one is sociology. And biblical Christianity says that in sociologically there is the home, there's the church, and there's the state. Unlike atheism where and and Marxism, which wants to abolish the home, the church, and the state, which we saw in communist uh, Russia, where they wanted to abolish all of that. They wanted to abolish marriage. They wanted to abolish all those things that God institutes and says is good. And in law, Biblical Christianity believes that there is a biblical natural law. And most of the law schools around the country believe in positive law, which is much different, which says that law is changeable and you can and and it changes because people are evolving and because ideas are evolving. But biblical law says, no, there is one law because there is right and wrong, which goes back, Andrew, to the ethics issue of um of biblical Christianity. Yes, well, that was uh, David Noble's book, uh, Understanding the Times. David Noble is with Summit Ministries. And and I wanted to give uh, our listeners a couple of perspectives because there are a couple of ways to analyze the Christian worldview. Uh, there's Noble's approach where he says there are 10 elements, but I, uh, I'm a... a an avid reader of Ronald Nash. Ronald Nash was a professor at Southern Seminary up in Kentucky, and he says that there are... F- and a very lively speaker, I might add. <laughs> and he's a great author. I encourage you to read any book that you can find by him, Ron Nash. And um, he says that there are five elements of a Christian worldview, and if you have a, a pen and a paper, I encourage you to just take these down, jot these down. And he said that a Christian worldview um, should be marked by uh, five things. First of all, our view of God. Our view of God. What do you think about God? I think it was C.S. Lewis who said, what a man thinks about God is the most important thing about that man. That's the first element of Christian worldview. What do you think about God? The second one is, what do you think about humanity? What is the the duty of man? What is the chief end of man? Is man a self-fulfilling being who is just about pleasure and self-pleasure? Or is man's chief end about something greater? And the Christian worldview would say, it's God's glory. That's humanity. The third element that Nash says is that a Christian worldview must have a proper view of metaphysics. Are we a, is the world a self-enclosed machine or uh, that that can be completely described by, you know, uh, mechanistic explanations that we're just uh, a machine that, uh, you know, cells bumping into one another or is there a supernatural explanation for some things, metaphysics. The fourth element of a Christian worldview, Nash says, is our view of epistemology. Now, epistemology is a word that we use in philosophy. It means basically revelation, or, or it's the question of how do you know what you know? How do you know what you know? And then the fifth element is ethics. 
Do you believe that there is absolute right and wrong? Now, I want to read you a few phrases that you may have heard. This is the secular worldview concerning God. There is no God at all, or at least we cannot know if there is one. Thus, we are left explaining everything as the effect of natural causes. That's the secular worldview. The Christian worldview says that there is a God. He does exist. Mm-hmm. And natural explanations fall short of explaining our world. We're not, just a nat- we're not in a box. There's not just a box. There is the supernatural. God does exist. Well, how about concerning humanity? The world would say humans are merely the sum of our substance. Uh, we're a, a biological life form uh, and nothing more. Well, the biblical worldview says that we're created in the image of God and that God gives us a purpose and that we're eternal beings and that we have a destiny in the afterlife. And that changes the way we view the world. If there's no afterlife, then I can live any way I want to in this life. Right. And the thing is, is that a worldview is not some static idea out there. A worldview affects the way that you live every day. And so if you have a life that's based on purpose, then you can live each day with joy, knowing that you are serving God by living. And Andrew, what you were talking about with God and man, what you view about God and how you view man's uh, place in in the world is kind of the problem that was addressed by Rick Warren's Purpose Driven Life. And I think the reason why it was so successful is because it addressed the question of who is God, who is man, and where do I fit in? Sure. And, and we long to know that. We long to know, what, what in the world am I doing here anyway? And How a lot did of, I get here? A lot of people ask that question because they have a, an improper understanding of epistemology. And we're running out of time in this segment, and I, I don't like that. But I'm going to just run through this last one. I think it's uh, one of the most important things you can understand is how do you know what you know? A lot of people might say, yeah, there's a God. Yeah, we're, you know, we have purpose, but how do we know what our purpose is? And the good news for the Christian is that God exists, but he reveals himself. He doesn't just leave you in the dark. God reveals him, himself through scripture, through the Bible. He tells you how he wants to, you to live. And, and uh, many times uh, the questions that we think of, you know, how do we, how should we live? How should we live? What is truth? These kind of questions uh, are answered a lot of times uh, by secularists who say, you find the truth within yourself, or do you find the truth through experience? Well, the Christian worldview says that God tells us how to live. God tells us what is truth. And we're almost on the break, so I'm going to have to run through uh, just one last item here, and that is you've heard some of the Christian worldview elements. You have to have a proper understanding of who God is. You have to have a proper understanding of who we are. You have to understand that God reveals himself. You have to understand that, that there is the supernatural, that there is absolute right and wrong. But Nash gives three tests which any worldview must pass. If you're going to have a valid worldview, they must pass these three tests. And I'm going to give them to you really quickly. First of all is the test of reason. Does your worldview hold up to the laws of logic? Uh, Postmodernism is an example of one that does not. Postmodernism says, um, you know, what's true for you is true for you. What's true for me is true for me. And even though they disagree, we can still believe them. We can can still still coexist. Right. But... But that, that violates the law of non-contradiction. You can't have two things that are completely opposite be the same thing in the same way, in the same sense. That violates the, log- uh, the, the test of reason. And then the second test is the experience. Have you experienced it to be true? And then the third test is the test of practice. Does it work? If you are a naturalist, you believe that there's no supernatural, that there's no authority, there's no authoritative revelation, then... On what basis can you say Hitler was wrong for doing what he did? If there's no supernatural, then it's your opinion versus his opinion. 
Naturalism doesn't work. Christianity does work. And you can't have just one element of these. You can't have just one test. You have to have a worldview that, that matches and, uh, and works through all three of these tests. And the Christian worldview, Absolutely. I think, is the only worldview that, that meets all of these tests. Well, next segment, we'll see the application of a Christian worldview. What happens when somebody puts their worldview thinking into practice? Join us after the break. Why are you here? Because I love Harry Potter. What would your reaction be if Harry Potter died in this last book? Um, I'd kill myself. You would, you would kill yourself, okay. Yeah, I'd phone Childline first to use up the Childline, you know, extra. Okay. If Dumbledore were to fight Darth Vader, who do you think would win and why? Dumbledore. Because as it says in the second book, Dumbledore is the greatest wizard that has ever lived. Wow. Do you think Harry Potter will ever be able to match Dumbledore's power? No. Do you believe in an afterlife? No. No. Do you think that praying can cause things to happen? No. And what do you think will happen when you die? I will be dead. And that's it. Crutch. Pretty much, I will be dead. That's sound from an interview that uh, a Criswell student did on the Harry Potter movie. We'll be discussing the Harry Potter movie more on Monday. Tune in then with Dr. Jerry Johnson. But we want to go into that. We're talking about the uh, Christian worldview today. I want to talk about the application of a Christian worldview. What happens when a Christian worldview thinker puts his beliefs into, into practice? And for that, we're going to go to an interview that Dr. Jerry Johnson did with a former governor, Mike Huckabee of Arkansas. And here's that interview. All right, folks, everyone is talking about who might be president in 2008. Republicans, and particularly conservative Republicans, have yet to gravitate to a name-brand conservative candidate for 2008. And a lot of people think that Governor Mike Huckabee, outgoing governor of Arkansas, could be the man. He was voted by Time Magazine as one of the top five governors in the United States. He has just written a new book, From Hope to Higher Ground, 12 Stops to Restoring America's Greatness, Welcome to the program, Governor Huckabee. Well, thank you very much, Dr. Johnson. It's a pleasure to be with you today. Governor Huckabee, this book is uh, fascinating in its title, 12 Stops. I mean, when most uh, leaders write a book, they think about steps, they think about positives, but uh, you've chosen to talk about what we should stop doing, and tell us a little bit about that theme. Well, the idea is that before we can start doing the right things, we have to stop doing the things that are really uh, the problem. And I think sometimes it's kind of like the old uh, biblical example that when you sweep your house clean, uh, you have to make sure that you put something good in place, but you have to sweep it out first or the good stuff will clash with the bad stuff. You know, I've always noticed that the Ten Commandments, uh, most of them are in the negative. <laughs> so. Well, these are some practical stops, like stop being cynical. Mm. We have such a cynical society where people uh, have ceased to be civil with each other. Mm. Politics has become screaming matches as opposed to mm. honest discussions where people try to solve problems. And stop uh, thinking horizontally. I think that's kind of the heart of the book in that so much in politics today, everybody wants to make things left, right, conservative, liberal. Uh, I'm a decided and unabashed conservative. But I found that the average American is not so much focused on the ideology of the leaders. They're focused on whether their leaders are thinking vertically. Will you lift us up or will you bring us down? Ronald Reagan was a great example of someone who thought vertically. Democrats voted for Ronald Reagan, not because they always agreed with him, but because they liked him. And they thought that he inspired them to think the very best about this country. 
You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. We're talking to outgoing Governor Mike Huckabee of Arkansas. Uh, Governor Huckabee, let me ask you a follow-up on that because uh, that's a bipartisan kind of theme and way of governing. You're in a state that, uh, I mean, most of the officials in Arkansas, aren't they still Democrats? And you had to work with Democrats to push forward your agenda. Is that correct? It is. Eighty-six percent of elected officials in this state are still Democrat. When I was first one in as governor two and a half years ago, uh, at that point, we had 11 out of uh, 100 House members who were uh, Republican. We had four out of 35 Senate members. So it was overwhelmingly uh, sort of stacked against me. But I also found that if I put forth ideas that really weren't about somebody's personal agenda, uh, I could not only get those things done on education and road building and health care, but then I earned the right to get pro-life legislation passed mm. for the first time in our state's history that had never gone through the legislature before. Mm. We were able to sign the first ever tax cuts. We were able to pass a covenant marriage bill. We were able to create community marriage policies. A host of things that many people would have said are truly conservative or even evangelical-type agenda items. But you do that once you prove that you're also willing to work on those things that transcend anybody's personal ideology. Let's go to some of these stops and just have you talk about a couple of those. For instance, stop the revenge-based criminal justice system. Would you talk to us about what you mean there? Our prison director in Arkansas has a statement that I often quote. He says, we lock a lot of people up that we're mad at rather than the ones that we're really afraid of. Mm. We ought to be locking up violent criminals that could be predators to our children and make our neighborhoods unsafe. But one of the things we've done in America, we've incarcerated a lot of people who would be better off in a community-based corrections program, maybe either in drug rehab or some other type of uh, approach where they would be a taxpayer, not a tax taker. It not only is less expensive, but in many cases far more effective. Some of the policies we've done over the last several years have been more about sort of getting revenge than it is of truly making restitution to victims and also bringing out some restoration to the people who uh, committed the first crime. And our justice system, I believe Charles Colson is right, needs to have as its goal uh, a restorative concept, not a punitive one. Uh, Governor Huckabee, let's uh, move on. to. We're talking today a lot about the sanctity of human life on this program, and I want you to listen to... Uh, President Bush today from Camp David talking to pro-lifers, and I'd like you to react to that if you would. I appreciate so very much the devotion to such an honorable cause and the good work everyone is doing to defend life. Governor Huckabee, would you talk for a moment about the kind of leadership that you could provide to the pro-life movement? Well, the most important thing is to tell you that this is not an issue where I've been on both sides and have tried to Uh, drive down the middle somewhere in between. I've said many times, it's in my book as well, that I didn't get into uh, the pro-life movement because of politics. I got into politics because I was so staunchly pro-life and believed that this was a cornerstone issue around which our culture would either rise or fall. I have respect for people who differ with me. I know there are people who uh, truly believe there ought to be uh, the opportunity to have an abortion at will. But I personally think that the destruction of an innocent human life is one of those areas where it is so completely against the history and heritage of our country in protecting the innocent and also speaking out for those who have no other voice. 
Governor Huckabee, you've been pretty clear on your position on the life issue. Uh, we want to play you a soundbite. Here's that soundbite. I think uh, I think that gay marriage should be allowed if there's a ceremony kind of thing, if you want to call it that. I, I don't have any problem with that. Of course, he went uh, on to kind of backtrack on uh, the words gay marriage. But what about that whole issue of benefits for homosexuals and, and same-sex marriage? Well, I, I have a problem with uh, changing the definition of marriage, which has served our civilization for as long as we've had recorded human history. It's always meant one and only one thing, a permanent, lifelong relationship between a man and a woman. It's never meant anything else. We have no right to change that. That's a institution that God created, uh, and I think God created the marriage and the family and home before he created the church, our government. And government certainly has no business to go and then to change those definitions, and I uh, have great respect for the senator, but on that issue, he's just uh, quite wrong. And he's talking about, uh, that is Senator John McCain. That was the soundbite, that was the quote. Uh, Governor Huckabee, let's get back to uh, something that might surprise a lot of listeners when they hear about a conservative or a Republican. You've got a chapter here called Stop Abusing Our Planet. Talk to us about uh, your view of stewardship over the environment. I believe it's an issue where evangelicals have, have really been AWOL. The truth is, if the earth is the Lord's and all that is within it, then it's incumbent upon us that are believers uh, to be good stewards of this planet. Hey, you love animals, I can tell. I hear a dog in the background. <laughs> <laughs> My wife's dog is uh, thinking somebody's coming into the house. Well, that's great. <laughs> but uh, I think it's incumbent upon us to make sure that we, as the old Boy Scouts would say, leave the campsite in better shape than mm. we found it. Uh, it's abominable to me that people would call themselves Christians and say that Yes, the Lord created this planet, but I have a right to just completely abuse it for my own selfish ends. Now, we should use it. We shouldn't be, I think, environmentalists, but we ought to be conservationists. And the difference is, often an environmentalist wants to put the creation above the creator. I think that those of us who have a sort of a balanced view would say that God created this planet for us to use, for it to work for us, but we are to take care of it and pass it on to the next generation in good shape. Governor Mike Huckabee, uh, he is former governor of Arkansas, just uh, handed over the reins there, has written several books just out, From Hope to Higher Ground, 12 Steps to uh, Restoring America's Greatness. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you, Penna and Dr. Johnson. Pleasure to be with you both. You too. And most people might not know that Governor Huckabee used to be a Southern Mm -hmm. Baptist pastor and was also president of the... um, Arkansas Baptist Convention. So he's a leader among the Baptists there, became lieutenant governor, then governor, re-elected, and had a strong uh, run there as governor. Well, that was an interview Dr. Jerry Johnson did with former Arkansas Governor Mike Huckabee, who's now running on the Republican ticket for the presidential nomination. And uh, Mike Huckabee was a, a pastor in Arkansas. He was actually president of the Arkansas Baptist Convention. And Ideas have consequences, and uh, you see that if you believe something, that should inform the way you act. And Mike Huckabee is one of those great men who who has a Christian worldview, and you see how he puts that into practice uh, in his politics and his beliefs and what he did in Arkansas and what he'd like to do for our country. Right. It's very evident when you hear him speak that he is putting his worldview into practice and using um, the truth that of God's Word to make major decisions in his life. And make a difference in our country. And make a difference in our country. And that's what we want for you, our listener. We want uh, for you to be informed on the Christian worldview. That's why we have this program to where you can 
have a newspaper in one hand, a Bible in the other, see what God thinks about the world. But we don't just have ideas. We don't just think about something. We do something about it. And uh, it should inform the way we act. And that should inform the way we do politics, the way we do religion, the way we do entertainment, uh, the way we do movies, the way we do news. It should affect everything. The way we do relationships, etc. The way we do everything in our life. Stay with us. Uh, We're coming up on a break. Hold on with us, and we'll talk about foundations for a Christian worldview. Where does it start? How do you have a Christian worldview? We've talked about that, but where does it start? We'll discuss that. This is Andrew Hebert with Caroline Lewis in for Dr. Jerry Johnson. We'll see you after the break. Generations of ministry leaders have one common point, a ministry education from the Criswell College in Dallas. To date, ministry leaders from the Criswell College are in service all over the world. With the fall term just around the corner, your education can follow this same distinguished path. An education from Criswell is grounded on the Christian worldview, witness, and God's Word, the Bible. The Word and Worldview focus of Criswell gives you a more effective witness to a world that needs Jesus Christ and prepares you for kingdom service. The fall semester registration is August 15th, 16th, and 17th. Classes begin August 20th. See chriswell.edu for details on classes and the Master of Arts in Christian Leadership degree. Chriswell students are ready for the challenges of today's ministry environment. Classes in evangelism, missions, preaching, communications, all are fully accredited and small class sizes point the focus to your success. Find out more at 800-899-0012 and on the web at chriswell.edu. Do you believe in an afterlife? <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, maybe. <laughs> no. No. What do you think will happen when you die? <laughs> wow. <laughs> deep. I think... Wow. Okay. <laughs> I think that you'll... I think that God will decide what will happen to you. Okay. I think we'll turn into cheese. Okay. <laughs> um, I kind of believe in reincarnation, but not really, so I don't really know. That sound from Joel Patrick, a Criswell student who went to Oxford University with Dr. Johnson uh, last week, and he was interviewing folks who were standing in line to see the new Harry Potter movie, and uh, we just wanted to play those clips for you. We'll be playing more of those on Monday. Uh, Dr. Jerry Johnson will be back in the seat. He's been traveling with students over the last few weeks. He'll be back here on Monday talking about the new Harry Potter movie. We'll have a, a great guest, Richard Abanis, who wrote a book on Harry Potter and the Bible. You won't want to miss it. This is Andrew Hebert. I've been with uh, Caroline Lewis, and we're sitting in for Dr. Johnson, and we've been talking today about uh, the Christian worldview. What is it? Why do we need it? Uh, what, is the ap- what happens when we have the Christian worldview? But I want to talk in this next segment uh, just about the foundations for a Christian worldview. There has to be a starting place for the Christian worldview. And I'll tell you that it starts with a relationship with Christ. And I just want to take an opportunity to to share with you what uh, we call the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And the gospel starts with God, the fact that God created the heavens and the earth, and God created everything in perfection. Everything was beautiful and perfect. There was no sin. And he created man. He created Adam and Eve. And he gave them a certain rules by which to live. Well, if you read in Genesis you'll find out that Adam and Eve broke those rules. They broke God's law. They sinned. They disobeyed him. And because of that, they were condemned. They were condemned to death, both physical and spiritual death, eternal death. Well, it's not just Adam that sinned. 
It's all of us. The Bible says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All have sinned. And you know this to be true just as well as I do. Uh, If you look at God's law and you hold your life up to it, you see that we've all sinned. Just take the Ten Commandments, for instance. Let's just uh, take a few of them. I'll I'll take uh, some well-known ones, the Ten Commandments. You shall not bear false witness. That means you shall not lie. Well, I've told a lie, and I'm sure most everyone in our listening audience has told a lie, and that makes me a liar. Now, I think I'm a pretty good person. I'm, I work for Dr. Johnson. I'm a pastor uh, of, a, of a small church. I'm married. I have a beautiful wife. I have a great life. And I think I'm a good person. But when I hold myself up to God's law, I see that I'm not as good as I think I am. I've told a lie. I've, I'm a liar. But the, 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 the Ten Commandments, excuse me, my words are getting mix, messed up here. Uh, the Ten Commandments also say you shall not uh, kill you shall not kill. Now, I've never murdered anybody, but God says if you have hatred in your heart towards a brother, it's just as bad to God as if you had killed that person. Well, how about adultery? You shall not commit adultery. Well, I've just been married a short time. I've never committed adultery. I'm safe on that one. Jesus says if you look with lust in your heart towards another person, you've committed adultery in your heart. So I'm a lying, thieving. I've broken the, the commandment, you shall not steal. Adulterer, murder at heart. In God's eyes, I am a sinner. And that puts me in a very bad position because uh, I'm condemned under the law. The, The wages of sin is death, the Bible says. God condemned sin. We'll die physically, we'll die spiritually, we'll spend eternity in hell. But that's the bad news. The good news is that not only is God a judge, not only is God holy and he must punish sin, but he is loving and he's merciful. And that's why he sent Jesus Christ to this earth to die for you and me. It's like this. If I was... Uh, running a, a red light or, or running a uh, speeding in a, a blind children's school zone, and I got a hefty fine of $500. I had broken the law, and God has promised to punish me, just like I've done with sin. And if I broke the law in a, in a physical sense, if I had uh, sped through that sp- uh, blind children's school zone, there would be a hefty fine that I would have to pay. And the judge, in order to be a good judge, would have to fine me. Now, I'm a poor student. I can't afford $500 right now, but the fine has to be paid. It must be paid by me, but it could be paid by someone else. What if my father came in and paid that fine for me? The fine would be paid, and I would be set free. The law would be satisfied, and I could go free. That's exactly what Jesus did for you. The wages of sin is death. Because you are a sinner, you must pay for that sin. The penalty must be paid. It can be paid by you, and that's eternity in hell. But because God loves you, he provided another way. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for you in your place. All of the punishment and condemnation and separation from God that you deserved was placed on Christ on the cross. Well, Jesus died for you. But if he only died, we would have no assurance of salvation. How would we know that that's the right way? How would we know that we have to trust in Jesus? What about Muhammad? What about uh, all of these other uh, gods? How do we know which one is true? Well, the Bible says that Jesus died, and he was in the grave for three days. But he didn't just die. Three days later, he rose from the dead. He rose physically, literally, from the dead. The idea is that death could not hold him. He came out through the other side of death. And Hebrews chapter 2 says... In dying, he defeated the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and he freed those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all of their lives. Part of my personal testimony is that I was deathly afraid of death as a young man. I was afraid to go to sleep at night. I didn't know where I would spend eternity. Jesus died, but he defeated death when he rose from the dead. 
that frees me. That frees me from that fear of death. Now that I, I know that if I follow Christ, I can literally ride on his coattails to glory. That's the idea in Hebrews 2, that just as Jesus rose from the dead, if I will repent from my sins, that is, turn from my wicked ways, and I will follow him, I will believe on him, I'll trust in him, then I can rise from the dead as well. There will be one day, a resurrection day, where I can spend eternity with him. That's the gospel. I can have a relationship with Christ if I will trust and and put my dependence on what Christ did on the cross, and I will turn from idols to serve a living and a true God. The Bible promises me eternal life and a relationship with Christ, and it, it also promises me that the Holy Spirit will indwell me and empower me to live the way I should live. I will have the ability and the power to turn away from sin, to follow God, to live the way he wants me. A relationship with the Christ is the foundation, the first foundation for a Christian worldview. You must have a relationship with Christ. Some of you need to make that decision today. Some of you have been listening, and you know that you're a sinner and you need a Savior. Christ offers that to you freely, 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 freely. You can take it. All you have to do is repent and believe on him. His word is true. His promises are not void. They can be true for you. But the second thing is a knowledge of Scripture, a foundation for a Christian worldview. You have to be educated in what God wants you to do. You have to understand Scripture. And a great place, let me just take a a moment to say, a great place to do that is Criswell College. I'm a student at Criswell, and we're going to be having uh, enrollment. Enrollment is opening uh, for the fall semester. You can go to criswell.edu to receive education on the Bible, to have a knowledge of Scripture, to to understand what God's will is for your life. Criswell is a great place to do that. And then thirdly, I would encourage you to to start using your mind. Love God with your heart, soul, and mind. Think Christianly. Think. That's the first step. Think. But think Christianly. Think the way God wants you to think. Use your mind. A great way to do that is to keep on listening to our show. We'll educate you on the issues. We'll bring a Christian worldview in. This is Andrew Aber. I've been with Caroline Lewis and for Dr. Jerry Johnson. Caroline, thanks so much for being on the oh, show. Thank you so much for having Looks me. Looks like Andrew. we're out of time. Tune in at, on Monday. Dr. Johnson will be back. God bless you. We'll see you next week. You've been listening to Jerry Johnson Live a Christian Worldview radio show. Join Dr. Jerry Johnson, President of Criswell College and Criswell Communications, Monday through Friday at 5 p.m. for an hour of relevant discussion of news and culture from a Christian perspective.